Hello there, Obakam here. You're welcome to episode 41 of the podcast. I hope you have been good, 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 taking your vitamins, wearing your mask, and you know, just doing them squats and all that good stuff. <laughs> we are in for a very interesting conversation today. Whatever made you click on this episode, you're on the right track. I promise. <laughs> so if you are male, good for you if you are female please send this episode to all the men in your life that you care about even the ones you hate i honestly thought it was high time we talked about this because everywhere we turn to two genders right are always a look ahead especially as society has begun to evolve we've seen people not agree with a lot of things that they their parents would have agreed with or the baby boomer generation so to say would have agreed with right so i i just felt like oh let's talk about this and let's what exactly is the problem and yes that's why we have toxic masculinity as 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 a subject for discussion today i am definitely not doing this alone we have a very brilliant guest on today's show before we even got recording we had a conversation and i kept nodding my head would fall like i was nodding so much in agreement because it had so it has so much knowledge so much in-depth knowledge about the subject matter that you just want re- you just want to listen him talk right while you just sit and get educated we have oyango otieno oyango is a certified trauma therapist strategic digital advocacy trainer mental health advocate podcaster writer and poet his work centers on african masculinity and its role in ensuring gender equity especially championing for african men's involvement in sexual and reproductive health and rights he is the facilitator of trauma healing circles managing a safe space for african boys and men who have been raped or sexually abused he founded a 200 member mental health online support group where members utilize storytelling as a tool for tackling mental health stigma oyango is also the host of the afro masculinity podcast where he interrogates the complexities of african masculinities oyango is such a cool calm communicator he has a very good way he breaks down very complex details into understandable beats right before we go into the conversation proper i'm gonna play this very short clip by idrizas it talks about fragile male egos and toxic masculinity right after idrizas we're jumping into the conversation with oyango stay tuned A while I wanted to speak out on things like fragile masculinity, but I didn't know how to properly articulate it because I didn't want people to think I was being a bitch because <laughs> my masculinity is too fragile. But I feel like it's one of the most important conversations we need to have because us men are not living up to the standards we should be holding ourselves up to. And I already know half the men out here are going to be like, ain't no skinny ass, long hair ass nigga going to tell me how the fuck to be a man. Come here, bro. You need a hug. I personally know so many men who I know are going through it, but they'll die before they tell you that they're not okay even if you go ahead and say bro you know tell me something about your life he gonna be like nah bro i'm just chilling you know i just been chilling it's been chill i know so many men who smoke weed like every single day and i promise you for a lot of them it's not even because they enjoy it like that it's because it ends up numbing them so hard to the point that they don't get to feel a lot of the problems they got going on in their life at the moment now it's a significantly bigger problem than it would have been if they would have just felt okay to be a human that got problems. And that's just weed. Men will act ignorant to all the problems with masculinity, but then they'll go ahead and get a girlfriend. And now when they're walking down the streets, they're holding on to her hand for their life. Suddenly, every single nigga is a potential threat. You looking to the left like, nah, nigga. You looking to the right like, get the fuck. And whoever's checking your girl out from the back, nah, bro, let's go right now. 
poor. It's normal for our women to be scared shitless when they walking down these streets, man. Our women should not have to carry mace and a taser to feel safe walking outside. I don't gotta do that. I could walk down these streets looking cute as hell, one ass cheek out, not a single fuck given. My point is that like, as a man, you know that men ain't shit. So if you, as a man, know another man who's a nutcase, put him in his place. And I shouldn't have to say, but what if that was your mom or sister though, for it to make sense to you? You have the power as a man to change other men. So let's become better men ourselves first. And I promise you, we'll see how contagious it becomes. Thank you so much, Oyango Otiene. How is that pronounced, by the way? Onyango, O-N-Y-A-N-G-O, Onyango. So Onyango, what do you think, or in your opinion, let's be as experiential as possible. What is toxic masculinity? I'm usually careful to use that word toxic when referring to masculinity because it's become a buzzword right now whose meaning we don't really understand. I, I would rather use unhealthy, unhealthy masculinity or poisonous masculinity because anyway, toxic is also from poisonous. Masculinity that is grounded on the fact that a man feels he is entitled to women's bodies and other men's bodies, especially men who are considered of lower class. Masculinity that believes a man must be a leader, a man must be the center of power. A man's emotions are like come first before any other people's understanding. That is unhealthy masculinity. Interesting. I mean, from your bio, this seems to be your, your life's work at the moment, yeah. right? Such a bit on your experience. What made you venture into this space? Have you suffered any particular trauma or anything of that nature that has, you know, made you venture into this space? I, I grew up in an abusive home. My dad was exceedingly abusive towards me and my mom. He came from a polygamous home where there were 30 children with one father and all of whom were competing for their father's attention, their father's love. And I also came to know later that my dad was my was his father's favorite son. So he was closer to his dad and he learned so many things from his father. His father was also a very violent person. And the background of that also is that he fought in the Second World War for the British in Burma. And when he came back from the war, he was not the same person. Um, the war did not end in his mind. So with the post-traumatic stress, it, the way it manifested in his life and his coping mechanisms was drinking and uh, violence. He would hurl things at people. He would beat up his children. He would beat up his wives before his children. It was insane. He would, because um, now the way the village was set up, he had his own house at the middle of the village um, and his his wives had different houses just behind his own house and i'm told that he would cook very nice things for himself like meat and really nice soup while his wives were just eating greens and all that um so he was also quite self-centered as a person and uh, these are the habits my dad picked up from him being his favorite child it was only easy to to understand how that came about so he, he basically also carried this trauma to his home and I was by design supposed to inherit it because he would tell me things like, you don't know who women are. How are you close to your mother, your, your 
you're not supposed to be close to your mother. Um, and you know, when the patriarchy realizes that you do not want to be a part of it, it starts oppressing you. It starts treating you like the way it treats women, actually, because the patriarchy views women as second-class citizens. And that was the beginning of my friction with my father because I couldn't understand. You know, the other thing also was my, his, my, unc my uncles, who are his brothers, many of them are also really violent to, to their wives. And because I, I used to wonder when I was a child, does this violence only exist in our home? And then you, you start realizing, oh, it's also in the village. And then you start realizing, oh, it's also in my neighborhood. It's in my community. I see so many stories of women being battered by their, by their husbands. And I was just very uncomfortable with it. Maybe because I saw my mother suffering very firsthand and it was really chaotic because I've seen too much of my mother's blood and she was very helpless for most times because the way the society is also set up, it was very difficult, especially in the older days, for women to just leave their, their marriages because they weren't economically stable or empowered in that sense. Um, so the fact that we set up a world where when a man is not okay, when a man is not financially stable, then his, his wife cannot do anything much to support the house economically. I think that's really, really dangerous. So even this idea of being a provider and all that, that especially is being um, preached in religion, I think for most parts, it's not very sustainable for the kind of world we live in, the kind of world we hope to live in. And it informs a lot of the gender prejudices that we go through today. And it is this is in relation to sexual abuse, uh, gender-based violence, governance, urban planning, almost everything. The way we are creating this world is we are creating it for men. We are not putting into account that other genders exist. So I, I grew up with so many questions about who men are. And the more I kept asking, the more answers came to me and even more questions came. And um, realizing that last year at the onset of COVID-19, just when we were getting into lockdown in my country, Kenya, for three months, the Ministry of Health stated that 5,000 rape cases had been reported between mid-March and June. And of these 5,000 rape cases, 70% of the victims were girls of 18 and below, which was just crazy. And that that number was a 70% increase to the number of cases reported in the previous year in 2019, around the same period. So even in 2019, that stuff was happening, but we weren't even really talking about the root causes of why that violence was there, why rape was there. And that 5% of that 5,000 were boys and men who also we barely talk about. And I, I also suspect it was a very underreported number. And that 95% of the perpetrators for both boys and men were men. You know, sorry, 95% of the perpetrators who violated uh, girls and, and men were also men. So, I mean, the numbers are there to show that something is really, really, really off with how men perceive women because this pandemic was affecting everybody. Even women were at home. They were being affected by the stress, by all these things. But why is it that men would feel the urge to exhibit their frustrations on women and children. Why? So that is the conversation I'm always trying to have with people. Um, so uh, I started two things, a podcast and uh, a safe space for boys and men who've been sexually harassed.
And in this podcast, I interrogate the complexities of the identities of African masculinities. What is the history of the African man? What are the things, what are the nuances that inform how the African man perceives himself today? What are those things that got us here? How do we see ourselves? What has made us see women the way we see women? you know, and all those things. Thank you for that context, right? So we know where you are coming from and we know that you are not talking out of the blues, but it's something that you have experienced firsthand. With that experience, you've been able to unlearn a lot of things and, you know, teach people, right, about, and even create a safe space for males or for guys who are going through similar stuff. As we were speaking, more people are sending in their questions and I'm going to take the few that I can take. Um, my next question to you is, I'm talking about suicide, right? Because now we've established that males, are, they're, they're taught to become men. You're taught to be vicious. You're taught to be, you know, toughen up. You are, don't suppress your emotions. Don't show pain. Don't wear pink. Never cry. You know, you know all, all those things that yeah. they say to men, right? Now, let's bring it down to suicide. In Nigeria, for example, the only time that we see a very huge spike in mental health conversations, um, especially with men, is when there is a suicide case. I mean, this happened sometime this year and even late last year. We had a lot of suicide cases in Nigeria where males took their lives. Right. Studies show that four men in a week take their own lives and 75% of all suicides are male. Right. And this is not because females aren't attempting suicide. In fact, they attempt suicide more. But I think that men are more successful because, um, again, they're very, very, the, the process to committing suicide is very vicious and very, um, now what's the word? It's very um, tough, such that before they, before anybody can get them out, they're done with it and they're gone. I want you to speak to suicide in the light of unhealthy masculinity. I mean, it's an ongoing conversation on a global sphere. That number is actually reflective of a global number. Um, male suicide is the highest uh, in the world. Everywhere we go, the way a man is taught to be a man is, is very similar. You're taught to suck things up. You're taught that you're strong if only you are muscular. You're also taught that you're, only, you're as strong as the amount of pain you can persevere. We actually do not know that subconsciously, this is what we make women go through. We define strong women by how much pain they've gone through because that is how we see life. That is how we've been bred to see things. The kind of upbringing many men have, from such a young age, you're alienated from expressing your emotions because in future, out of the way the patriarchy is set up, the patriarchal society is set up, it wants you to be a dominating figure. And it also is using that same power to dominate you as a young boy. So you, that's why you find not many fathers are very kind to their sons. Sometimes they're really kind to their daughters, but even the way boys are disciplined, quote unquote, when they are younger is more brutal than the way girls are disciplined when they are younger. Um, boys are really brutalized from such a young age. Your body starts to be battered from, from a very, you know, when you're young. Um, but a lot of this is very much rooted in colonial tendencies because of how the white imperialism exotic power upon especially black males. And that's why you also do not hear very consistently of white people beating up their male sons. You don't hear that a lot, but we stuck with it. That is how I theorize why 
men were brought up the way they have been brought up and and we know who majority of the slaves in this world come from and so we stuck with the trauma and still even for the rest of the world a man was still groomed to be a dominant person so we were not taught how to relate with our emotions we believed that that is work that women are supposed to do so also that explains why many men depend on women for emotional labor we depend on women to take care of children we depend on women to take care of our insecurities we depend on women to to sort of uh, validate our masculinity so suicide is definitely connected to that when a man all of a sudden really really has to face their emotions and they don't know where to go they do not have safe spaces in society or in the, his community so that where he can actually express himself around these issues he finds no other way to deal than to kill himself so it's very explainable in those terms interesting cuz recently too right i have discovered a couple of my male friends who've been going through phases on twitter they're tweeting stuff that to me seems a bit injurious it makes me feel that you're going through some deep shit that they cannot really talk to anybody about sometimes you know people take their lives and they will go back to their history go back to their twitter go back on instagram to see if they left any sort of clues right and then we see that oh they were actually speaking out and crying for help but these signs were really subtle right that we did not we did not pick any of these clues so one thing i've intentionally tried to do recently is to like if i see anybody on 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 twitter right who is a close friend you might you don't need to be close to me but i see you like tweeting some kind of in some sort of way that um suggests to me that you're going through a phase i always try to reach out because i'm like again guys don't like to bottle up everything right they bottle up a lot of emotions and they don't they don't talk about these things we females are the ones who are more op- open to all of these you know and again um there are a lot of female led organizations that speak to all of these but not enough male yeah. organizations or initiatives that speak to all of these things so i think it's a very important thing that we should do so this is me just giving this as a takeaway to people that are listening right now if you see anybody in your circle any guy in your circle really that you think is going through a phase like this please reach out um extend a helping hand um talk to the person about therapy if it's possible connect this person to an organization that could help them open up and speak up right if they cannot speak to you would really go a long way into you know curbing the rate of suicide cases that we have i'm going to read one audience question this person says why are ladies blamed for everything that happens to guys <laughs> So do you have any reason why? Why are women blamed for everything that happens to guys? Yeah, again, that just comes from the fact that we expect women to hold us together all the time. Why do you think it's easier for a man to speak to a woman about his problems and not a fellow man? Why is that there? Because they are actually brought up to be enemies of each other, to be people who are competing and not supporting one another. Women are connected together because they are very similar suffering men are suffering but they don't want to get together because they've been trained to be compete co- competitors in a competitive world so we expect women to be holding us together to to take us to take care of our emotions right even today when it's a man tweeting about something like those clues we just from talking about most times it's women reaching out and most times in public it's men who are ridiculing them for speaking out 
I, I, I came out with my story for two, two, two things. When I, when I was depressed and also when I came out with uh, a story of me being raped when I was 20 years old, in both instances, the people who were ridiculing me, 98% of them were men. Why are you talking about this? You're supposed to be a man. You're supposed to be defending yourself. A man cannot be depressed, toughened up. This is a tough world and blah, 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 blah. So men also fear that ridicule from other men. That's why women sound or feel like a softer landing, you know? So it is very easy to direct our anger to women because we believe they're supposed to be the one the ones taking care of um, our emotions, and that's that's where we are going wrong. I love this perspective because before, when you started talking, it was news to me because um, they say that women are the enemies of women, and now you are saying that men are the enemies of men. They see themselves as competitors, you know. But then I, I love the way you ended because it kind of gave me a better perspective, right? So yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> Let's talk to the issue of body shaving. I saw this post you made where you were talking about um, male body shaming is as real as female body shaming. I mean, I'm a female and I've got yeah. a lot of dick pics from random guys. They exalt the way their bodies look in that have yeah. big penises, right? They exalt it. It's, it's a big deal to them. And they shame other guys that do not have. Because I feel like it's also part of the problem when you talk about unhealthy masculinity and, you know, how people just making pictures in their head of how the perfect body should be and whatnot. So, yeah. Body right. shaming comes from commercialization and capitalism. What has been considered strong for the longest time is a man who has a big penis. He, he has muscles. Um, he has skills. He can own women. He can own a lot of land. He can own a lot of power. There is something called phallocentrism. Phallocentrism is the, the idea that we are centering a man just because he is a man and his emotions and um, his wants and um, his ideas are what must come to be like you know, what we listen to most times, phallocentrism. The, the word phallocentrism is rooted in the, in the word phallus, which is the male penis, uh, to be precise. And you find that God complex that many men have, uh, how it is connected to the way we view bodies. So around the 1940s to 50s, especially in America, and even like most of Europe, the white men started, you know, making these advertisements on TV about who the beautiful woman looks like. There was a time a beautiful woman was big bodied, like she, she, she was plus size. And then there was a time a beautiful woman was very slender. So they, they wanted to, con it's just still a part of control that you want to control how a woman looks like. And then now women follow that rule because they also have grown up in that patriarchal system. Their, their husbands are powerful people. So definitely what they say should be right. And the fact that from a very young age they were groomed to take care of men they were groomed to take care of children it only seemed right but this is also some of the these are some of the things that also inf informed feminism that women were saying we cannot live by these very fictitious standards of what beauty is supposed to be and so the same thing for men as well you realize that even in all tv commercials you never see 
what I would say, a, a fat guy selling something. He's never there. All billboards you see, all commercials you see online or t- on TV, there are men who have big muscles, they have a deep voice. The same guy you see in these uh, soap operas, in movies, he is always toughened up. He doesn't show emotion. He's tough and tough and tough and tough. And then the, the way they write these scripts, women like those kind of people on TV, in the magazines and all those things. So men also sort of now start thinking, okay, if you're not a man who is in that order of, uh, of size, then something is wrong with you. We need to laugh at you. And also women picked that up as well, to be honest. Um, so you find that men, men who have smaller penises are ridiculed for not being good in bed. Men who have smaller bodies are ridiculed for not being strong enough or not important enough in society or they don't have a voice. Even today, um, if I have a big body but my voice is short of slender, people look at me funny because it is expected that a big man must have a big voice. And then also for women, if you're a woman, if you have a deeper voice, then people also look at you funny. Because we have, we have all these lines that we think, oh, a woman must be like this, a man must be like this. But if you look at ancient indigenous communities, where um, even the idea of clothing wasn't even there as much, because people would wear hides and skins. Everybody was free to have the, the, the body they had. People moved really freely. It didn't didn't matter if you had a big belly or whatever. If you if you had no ass and no muscles or whatever, they saw bigger things to life than just equate somebody's worth to how they, to the shape of their bodies. This it's actually another pandemic we also need to be talking about more often. Thank you for that. I just want to read what you wrote and that post, just an excerpt of the post because I think it was instructive. You wrote and I read. Male body shaming is as real as female body shaming. Black men's bodies also get treated to preconceived social standards that harm their sexual lives. We are okay with laughing at men who have smaller digs and we've translated it to mean that they can't satisfy their sexual partners or they are not men enough. Men suffer this humiliation and it's time we stopped it. Stop sharing memes, videos, images, or gossip ridiculing a man's size. So I just wanted to put this out there because I thought it was instructive, right? Um, so thank you for that response. So we're going to take more audience questions. This question is from Ibiri, and she says, why do guys find it difficult to differentiate between being the head of their home and being the head of every female? I would say religion has taken a big part in instigating that reality because from the beginning, if you look at the world, the biggest religion are the Abrahamic religions. That's Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Africa has also two major of those religions. That is Islam and Christianity. And in fact, Islam is more spread in Africa than Christianity. In the beginning, God is presented to us as a man. Okay? In Africa and in many other indigenous communities, we had female gods. People used to play to male and female gods, but those were scraped off from our realities and our history. So all of a sudden, there was only one God, and this one God took the shape of a man. So already, men have that God complex from such a young age. That's what they're taught, that God is a man. Our Father who art in heaven, come on. And that the women around them um, are supposed to come before them because women are supposed to be to have desire over them. So that's why, like, mm. 
you know when you say no to a man's advances he's like but what do you mean you're supposed you're supposed to say yes to me there is no space for no it comes from those kind of teachings from such a young age and also the way boys grow up seeing women treated around them it goes without say our brains are simulation machines we learn from what we see we can tell children so many things but they follow who we are by how we act how we treat people what that's what they see okay? so if you grow up in a society where black people are mistreated society where white people are put on a pedestal in a society where men are given more uh, worth than women that's what you're going to be unless you start being curious to ask questions and want to live a different life which is very rare because we are very few people who who see that majority of the people just want to repeat and repeat and repeat and that's why there is something called consumerism it's easy to sell these ideas to a mass number of people because most people just want to get by they don't care about all that stuff they just want to get by so you find there are also many women and this is good because it's part of feminism anyway there are many women who just want to be taken care of they want their man to lead but also there are those who discriminate men who particularly do not want that kind of setup and feel they are not men enough so it's very complex and these teachings from such a young age uh, for me religion which is still like politics has instigated that thing of um, men feeling entitled so when you're telling a man you know how a man thinks of a home like he is the head of a home if the woman is in the home he will definitely think he's the head of the woman and that is how the bible also um uh, and the quran i think also uh, communicate that the, the, there is god and then man and then woman it's very hierarchical it's very clear so when anybody goes against that it's 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 room for violence and i also suspect that these are issues that still exist before this kinds of religions came like i think they still existed there before sort of just institutionalized it you know and made it look like it's a system that has to work this way and this is how um any everybody should follow but i'm i'm happy anyway that um as we progress as a, as a society we've seen people kind of just debunk such aside from the, fam- the the institution of family rights the fact that people now bring this even to the, the society um in nigeria twitter for example we've seen people come on twitter and complain about how they are the market they just wore shorts you see a man tapping their asses or doing things like that and telling telling them oh, i have your type in my house i have your type what do you have that the woman in my house does not have like yo that's your house mm-hmm. you have no right to have access to nobody right so i think this this is what this person is trying to say here talking about you know how do we differentiate between men um, being the head of their homes and men being the head of every female that they meet yeah the next question is from a guy for us he's saying that i believe toxic masculinity is the result of male identity crisis what is your opinion that's and the second question he's saying do you think that toxic masculinity can be defeated or reduced definitely unhealthy masculinity is hinged on the global male crisis that is there if you look at the world the richest people are men the richest people are white men the richest people in africa collaborate with white men men who are in at the middle class level going down 
are trying to be like these white men who have all this power and resources and, you know, they are not trying to topple the power system. They're trying to be up there with those men as well. But when you translate that into society, if you break it down, when these guys are the ones who are still trying to, to be up in power and, and identity, the kind of economies they are building up still does not, it supports slavery, it supports exploitation. It supports violence, okay? Because the way the world is set up, the way human beings are set up, we are not we are not basically built to or created to be capitalist. We are created to be very communal people, where wealth is shared uh, and people do not lack, where you know skills are shared, food is shared, there is communion. But we're in a system where more people just want to get rich and wealthy for the sake of holding on to stuff. It's not sustainable for any world. And the men from who are from middle class to poor um, are just also just wealthy for the sake of just holding things to, to, to themselves. It still creates that identity crisis that men have. So can male identity, identity crisis reduce? Yes, it can. It takes individual men to say, I want it different. I want to create safe spaces for male communities to come and discuss their truths, their fears, their realities in a space where their knowledge will also be challenged. You know, it's very difficult to challenge a man's knowledge out here because he thinks he's always right. There is no space for conversation. So we need more of those spaces um, where men can, can challenge each other, where men are emotionally intelligent to say, you, you're not supposed to be heard just because you're a man, you're going to be heard because of your abilities and skills, um, and also in proximity to other people's um, needs who say, okay, you're going to be the head, not you forcing yourself there just because you're a man. It takes, it takes those individuals to create those healthy communities. So when we have those healthy male communities, then we can create a different system that will make men be healthier and live in a society or a community or a world where you don't have to step on another person to feel powerful. Uh, I remember one American writer I love so much called Toni Morrison. She said, if you're only powerful when somebody else is on, the, is on their knees, then something is really wrong with you. And she was speaking to racism. And that is how patriarchy also works. Patriarchy is only strong because it steps on other people. Yeah. All right, the next question we have, how would you respond to a woman who disparages, questions, or pokes your masculinity? I'm not sure I understand what poking my masculinity in that sense means. Is that degrading me as a person? Is that respond by saying, I support all manner of feminisms just as long as they respect human rights. That's all. So I, I'm going to play a VN right now. This person sent her question in form of a VN. Bakam, that's a fine one. I really want to know how to really talk to a guy, like really get to them. Now I'm asking because mental health is just gaining awareness, like gradually, especially in this part of the world. Guys have been raised to bottle up, to man up. They are a man or you are a man, as it's probably said. So I really want to have a conversation with them. How do you really, I don't want to use the word break, but that's what sounds appropriate to me right now. How do you really reach a guy? How do you really get a guy to talk to you without being like, talk to me, I'm here, because those are the words that most often we use. Just know that I'm here if you want to talk to me. I have male friends that can really confide in me, really talk to me. 
I don't even ask them sometimes. They just come, they feel comfortable, they feel free. I've done that successfully with at least three of them that they just, they want to talk about anything. They just hit me up and be like, you just talk. But I really want to know better how to really be there. I really want to know how to speak their language. Thank you. That question is both simple and difficult because you can only speak the language of somebody who is willing to listen to you. And then it also speaks to the emotional labor that women often have to go through for men. Because you find, again, this question is women who are also asking it all the time. I want to speak the language of these men. I want to get to them. That is emotional labor, actually. Um, and not to say it, it is a bad thing, um, because, I mean, we live, women live among men and they want to understand those men. They were raised very differently from those men. But I, I often say it, this is supposed to be a standard for everybody. Treat everybody kindly. Don't discriminate or treat anyone on the basis of their gender in the sense that you, ex you have expectations over how they are supposed to act just because of how they identify, male or female or or, or, or lack thereof. Be a safe space for those of whom you love. Be a safe space for strangers. But I think many men live in fear because they fear to be misunderstood. They fear to be judged. So to speak specifically maybe to that question is if you have a calm spirit, if, you have, if you're somebody who is approachable, it's going to be easy to talk to you. When somebody comes out with something, you're not judgy the first instance. You want to listen more and ask more questions so that they can keep talking. I think it, it will give to that answer. There is no particular male language that is out here. It's not, it's not rocket science also. We imagine that there is female language and there is male language. It's not there. It's, those are all social constructs. We are all human beings. Language is language. Emotions are emotion. When I sit down with my boys, and I, I'm really lucky to have great male friends who open up to each other and stuff. When we are opening up space for one another, it's not different when I'm, when I'm doing it with my girlfriend. It's not different. We are just listening to one another. We are speaking to one another. We are giving each other time to speak and asking questions and making each other feel you have space here and we respect here, you here and we honor you here. We honor your pain. We honor your... I don't know, your confusion or whatever it is that somebody is going through. It's not different. I think what's different is just the fact that somebody is male and another is female, but the language of emotion is the same. Thank you for that response. Um, I think my final question to you is really want to just reach out, reaching out to people who are going through shit, um, a shit ton of stuff. What is your first point of call to guys who are, you know, undergoing violence right now? who are in violent relationships, who are perpetrators of violence. They, they want to stop, but they, they don't know how to stop. People who are going through um, depression, anxiety, and all those other mental health-related issues, um, and they don't know who to speak to, what would, you, what would be the first point of call? That is also a very complex question into? because people are at different places of whatever they're going through. And the kind of available help is also very different. So you find like every time, like let's say a man has suicidal thoughts or they have depression, their first instinct is to keep quiet and to keep it in and not to talk about it with anybody, even the, the closest people around them. They And even men who are going through abuse because of the nature of the kind of society we live in, 
they fear even reporting that they were abused by their wives their, and other men. You know, men have been made to feel so fearful of showing weakness that they weren't strong enough. That is the part. But I, I often tell guys, you know, this is your life. If you speak up and people ridicule you, this is your life. You're saving yourself. Reach out to somebody, a friend who is around you. And sometimes our friends don't have to understand everything we are going through. Friends are not psychologists. Friends are just people. They are people like us. For me, when, when I came out with my depression, my friends didn't know what a depression was, but they realized that I was not okay. So they would come to my house. They would cook for me. They would wash my house. They would make my bed. They would open the curtains and they would just stay in the house with me. They didn't know what depression was, but I needed support. I needed company. And they, they came through for me like that. So we, we, we also fear to be misunderstood in the sense that people don't understand what depression is and why we are feeling suicidal. And that also speaks to the kind of friends we also are. When your friend comes to you, do you listen to them? Or are you always ready to give them an answer to something they've said they're going through? Um, are we people who take time to digest what people are, are saying to us? You know, um, So for me, it could be many things. Speak up. Even if you have to tweet, even if you have to Facebook or something, reach out to a friend, male or female. And sometimes it could even be a child, just speaking to a child. Sometimes also it could be going to connect with nature. Take a walk, um, make it often. If you have money, travel a little bit, see what's going on. I know with COVID, that's not very possible for many people. Learn a new skill, read about something you don't know about. There's so many things. Um, it's just that most times when you feel you're there, you don't think there is a way out. Yeah. But if you're living in a violent home and maybe your spouse is, um, you're a guy and your spouse is violent against you, please go report it, speak up about it. And if you can also leave, leave that relationship, leave that space, go elsewhere, find somewhere else. I also realized um, last year we had uh, very many shelters, rescue centers for girls, but we didn't have any for boys because men don't report that they are being abused. So even for the cases that I was coming along, we had to find homes where people live so that we could house these guys. But we didn't have any rescue sh shelters for, for boys, which is also a big issue. And for men as well, which is also a big issue. Because even men are sexually abused by men. It's really, really rampant. Soldiers have been doing that in the DRC, in Libya, in, in northern Uganda, in Chad. It's, it's crazy. It's happening nearly every day. Um, so I think the more we have these conversations, the more it's going to be easier is even for men to come together to say, yeah, some of us have these issues, but we don't know who to talk to. We don't know where to go. I am often almost available for having these discussions. I would love to connect men to each other, especially in African countries. Um, where people need support and they don't know where to start. I am already running a safe space. It's virtual and it's also physical. Um, but I'm always willing to start these safe spaces, even if it's just on WhatsApp, start communities where men are coming and they're talking about these issues. And because of the tools that I have, I support them in conversation and help them just cope with things. So if anybody's out there listening to this, um, they can feel free to reach out to me as well. So just drop quickly drop your social media handles. Yeah, so Anybody on Facebook, my name is Onyango Otieno. Onyango is O-N-Y. 
A-N-G-O, then Otieno, Onyango Otieno. And then on Twitter and Instagram, I am known as Rick's Poet. That is at Rick's Poet, R-I-X-P-O-E-T. Or if you just Google Rick's Poet, you're definitely going to find um, my social handles as well. And I'm almost always online. It's, it's not very hard to get to me. Awesome. At this juncture, we want to say <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Ayango. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed this episode and you want this podcast to keep on going on and on and on, there's a link in my show notes. Um, tip me, tip me, tip me. The link is in my show notes. Talk to you soon. Bye. Mm-hmm.